Well, hello, Christ Chapel, and welcome to all of you joining us at all of uh, the other campuses there, the West Campus, South Campus, Converge, Hive. Uh, if you're streaming with us, so glad that you've chosen to worship our Lord. It is certainly a privilege uh, to be able to lead you in worship, and we're going to continue to worship as we take up a- an offering. So I want to go ahead and do that. Very easy to give. You can certainly text in the code on the screen. There's a link in the chat to be able to give. If you give online, that's how Jen and I give. Or if you brought a physical gift, you can drop it in one of the boxes outside of your worship venue uh, whenever you're done. Uh, we always like to tell you what your giving goes toward. It is incredibly important, not only to continue kingdom ministry, but it's important to us as a church because uh, some of you know this already, but we do not take on debt as a church. Uh, The only ministry we do, if we buy it, there is money in the bank. It's because you have given already. And so it's incredibly important. And so thank you for giving. Uh, I want to, we always like to highlight something that your giving has gone toward. And I want to highlight that, but I want to talk about what you gave back in 2020. You see, it was during the height of the pandemic that so many of you gave generously and sacrificially that we were able to pay in cash, in full, to build a permanent facility for our South Campus family. And actually, next Sunday, they will be in that uh, new facility and have their very first worship service. And so, yeah, super exciting. I know they are uh, jumping up and down there at the South Campus, which is great, but wanted to show you some pictures of what that looks like. Uh, That's a great picture. That is not a rendering. That's an actual picture. Um, And then just wanted to show you kind of the inside of it as well. Uh, Super cool. Excited for what God is going to do. Uh, So they are in their last Sunday in the depot uh, today. Uh, All of the Fort Worth Campus and the West Campus, you're going to be invited to an open house later on in the future, but just excited for what God is doing there in John. County and in Burleson, and uh, we are praying for you, South Campus family, and excited for your last Sunday and first Sunday uh, to come. Okay, I want to tell you something that is probably not so shocking to you, but the United States is not the happiest country in the world. And I know, I know you're like, duh, but this is according to the World Happiness Report. You may not have known that that even existed, but there is a world happiness report. Now, it doesn't surprise us who live in the United States that we're not the happiest country in the world. But if you look at the six categories through which the world happiness report measures and records these different things to see how happy a country is, I was actually very surprised. Because what they measure are things like gross domestic product, uh, life expectancy, uh, freedom, uh, all of these things that you go, well, hey, we should be doing pretty well. But guys, we don't even make the podium. We are 19th in the world according to this World Happiness Report uh, of happiness. And it's also accompanied with a survey where they survey people. Number one and holding steady for the past four years is Finland. Does that surprise anybody? The average temperature is 45 degrees, okay? They average five hours of light per day. In December, they are averaging 38 minutes of light per day. I would be depressed. I don't, I don't want to go to Finland. No, no th- I mean, maybe visit, but I don't want to live there, okay? 
But I don't think it's, uh, it's fair to say or even accurate to say that even everyone in Finland is happy. Maybe they didn't uh, survey the right people. Maybe they meet some of these marks, but is everyone in Finland really happy? Can all the happy people in our world be confined to one country? I don't think so. And I don't think you would answer that question in the affirmative either. But what if the happiest people in our world don't belong to the same country, but they all belong to the same kingdom? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 1 to 12 today. We're beginning a new series called Upside Down. And shout out to our creative arts department. They did a fantastic job on that bumper. Uh, super talented. So thankful to work alongside them. Uh, way to go team. But remember, we are walking through the gospel of Matthew this next year. And I just want to remind you that for a few reasons. The reason why we're doing that is because we want to take an in-depth look at Jesus this next year. Why? Because it's our vision this next year to be one, make one, reach one. Be his disciple make disciples as he's called us to do, and then reach the lost that will, Lord willing, become followers of him. We wanna reach the 800,000 in our own backyard who do not know or walk with Jesus. And so if we wanna reach them and have Jesus's heart, then we need to take an in-depth look at his heart. And so that's why we're walking through the Gospel of Matthew this next year. And so we just finished Matthew chapter four. That's why we're picking up with Matthew chapter five, but we're breaking it up into these mini-series. Now, a couple of things that I want to remind you from that vision sermon. First is this, each of us that call Christ Chapel home, we've asked you to pray for two people that you will be sharing the gospel with this next year. It's not that you already have to have done that, but you are praying, God, would you allow me to have two conversations, two people that I would be able to share the gospel with, invite them into a relationship, a saving relationship with Jesus. Two people, don't forget that. And the reason why I'm reminding you of that is because you've forgotten it. Uh, it's okay. I just know that you've forgotten it. But also because of this. This series, this upside down series, is going to be the best series to generate everyday conversations about faith. So this series is gonna take us all the way through Easter. And so for, for this series, I want you to be thinking about how can I have spiritual conversations with my friends, with my family members, with my neighbors, with my coworkers, because in this series, we're gonna talk about things that are Monday morning. We're gonna talk about marriage, we're gonna talk about money, we're gonna talk about anxiety, we're gonna talk about anger, we're gonna talk about all of those things that we all struggle with, deal with, interact with, face on an everyday basis. So be thinking about those two people that you're praying for and how this can generate those conversations, okay? So that's this series, is this upside down series, but when I was thinking about upside down, this series is not gonna be as dark or dystopian as the upside down in Stranger Things. 
This is uh, far brighter. Uh, This is more utopian, in, in, in fact, because of the vision that Jesus lays out for his kingdom and what life is like sitting under his rule and reign. But I wanna give you some context before we jump into chapter five to remind you of where we've come from. Because remember, we came from heaven sent. Jesus was heaven sent, equipped with everything we needed to, and he was fulfilling all of these prophecies. So he begins his public ministry, with John, which Jonathan kicked off last week. And I just want to read the very end of chapter 4. So follow along with me, 23 through 25, to give you context before we jump into chapter 5, because this is super important. It says, And he, that's Jesus, went throughout of all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, and those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So that's what's going on as Jesus begins his public ministry. He's starting to acquire these these great crowds. Everybody's following him. Everybody wants to see him. Everybody wants to be healed by him. And all of these people are coming from all of the regions around the Sea of Galilee. And I wanted to show you a map of what that looks like. Because we have, in, in Matthew chapter 1 through 4, we kind of focused in on Jerusalem and Bethlehem. That was very important and that was the setting. But now remember, he's left Jerusalem. Now he's gone up to the region of Galilee. And today we're gonna be in Capernaum, which is on that northwest side. But you can see the regions that are mentioned here at the end of chapter four. People are coming from all over. They're coming from Syria, the Decapolis, Judea, obviously Samaria, and in the region of Galilee. These are people who would not be united politically. They would not be united under some sort of background or belief, but they are all wanting to unite under one king, the King Jesus. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter five, look what he does here in verses one and two. It says, seeing the crowds, All of these people coming from all over, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, this begins the king's speech. See, Jesus inaugurated his kingdom by giving his state of the union address. And you know what a State of the Union address is. Our, our president gives a State of the Union where he, he stands up there, or one day maybe a she stands up there and says, you know, uh, that this is the condition of our country. This, this is where people are today. And these are going to be my priorities. The, this, is, this is what my administration is going to do. And therefore, this is what you can expect as a citizen of the United States. Well, Jesus, no different here, begins a new administration as he is the king and he's inaugurating his kingdom. 
He's saying, this is what my administration is going to be like. And this is what my priorities are going to be. And this is what my citizens are going to, to live like, to be like, what they can expect from their king, the king Jesus. And so I want to explain uh, this because all of this comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It's a very, very famous uh, phrase, as best as I can trace it back, it comes from uh, St. Augustine or St. Augustine, however you want to say that, uh, way back when, who coined that term. Now, to call Matthew chapter 5 to 7 a sermon is an understatement. I mean, this is one of the best discourses uh, of re recorded of Jesus all throughout the Gospels. So to call it a sermon is an understatement. To call it the Sermon on the Mount, a mountain, is a drastic overstatement, okay? I want to show you where this is taking place. As I told you, it's in the region of Capernaum. This is right on the Sea of Galilee. I tell you this over and over. If you haven't been to Israel, you need to go to Israel, Okay, we're taking two trips. Christ Chapel's taking two trips this summer. Jen and I will be actually on the second one. We would love for you to go with us because we will go here. We will, we will take you here to where Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount. And so there is a, a church, a monastery. It's a Catholic monastery that was built there, uh, the Church of the Beatitudes. But there's this slope that goes down to the Sea of Galilee. And, and we understand that it's probably close to right here because there's a flat space. And we know from Luke chapter 6, a corresponding passage to the Sermon on the Mount, that there was a flat space. Now, I've given you the perspective of the Sea of Galilee so that you understand there's no mount, okay? This is a hill. Maybe this is a Texas mountain uh, at best. But this is where this would have happened, where Jesus sees the crowds coming. He gathers them in Capernaum, and he sits them down for this State of the Union address because he wants to tell them about his kingdom, you see, the kingdom is Christ's already not yet reign, which begins in a human heart. And I want you to understand that because the kingdom of God is an essential phrase, or the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew continues to say, um, is, is essential for you to understand the concept. Remember, John the Baptist was preaching repent, but why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. Jesus, we just read at the end of chapter four, is going around proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom is coming. Why is the kingdom coming? Because the king has come. The king has a kingdom. And so you've got to understand the nature of this kingdom. There's an already aspect of this kingdom that when Jesus shows up, there's a rule and reign and a blessing that comes to his citizens for those who submit to his kingship in their life. And we're gonna read about what some of those blessings are. So there's an already blessing. But there's a not yet aspect to his kingdom as well. And we know that because of Revelation, the millennial kingdom that is to come, and obviously the eternal reign of King Jesus on the earth, which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we know there's a kingdom to come. There's already a kingdom that Jesus is introducing here in Matthew, but there's a not yet aspect as well. So it's not so much spatial in nature, but it's spiritual. It begins in our hearts. 
And when his reign begins in our hearts, that means his blessings begin in our heart as well. And that's what he offers to these, these crowds. The kingdom is offered to anyone who would follow him. These people are coming from all of these different regions. And as I said, they were not united politically. Yes, this was under Roman rule, but they all had their little governors and their own customs and their own backgrounds and their own heritage and all those things. But they're all wanting to unite under Jesus because of the great things that come from sitting under his kingship in their their lives. And it says that he sits down these great crowds and it says, then his disciples, if you, if you look back at verses one and two, it says his disciples came to him. So you need to reconcile, how are there a bunch of crowds and Jesus seeing all the crowds, he sits them down, but then disciples. What I need you to understand is the definition of a disciple. He's not just talking about the 12 disciples. A disciple is a follower. That's essentially the the literal term, the literal definition of disciple. It means a follower. Somebody who followed Jesus. Now remember what we just read at the end of chapter four. There are a lot of people following him. There are a lot of people who are interested in his benefits. The question is, will they continue to follow him after the Sermon on the Mount? So there are a bunch of people, these, these are his disciples, these are the people that have been following him as he's healing every disease, every affliction, as he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's giving this message to a great crowd. And this great message is that Jesus described the upside down nature of his kingdom economy and its citizens. Jesus described the upside down nature of his kingdom and the economy of his citizens. And I've, I've teased that out about his, his economy and his citizens, and, and I'll explain why, because now we're gonna get into the specific section there, verses three through 12. And this section is called the Beatitudes. I know there's a lot of explanation I'm having to do today. But the Beatitudes. Beatitudes, where that term comes from, is the Latin term that means blessed. Now, if you just glance down at verses 3 to 12, you see blessed a lot. And that word blessed literally means happy. Happy. Happy are my citizens. My citizens are happy. And that's a very fickle uh, emotion to try to hang on to. It's a hard emotion to grasp. It's an emotion that we all chase. And it's not as simple as defining it by gross domestic product. It's not as simple as defining it as life expectancy. But Jesus says that his citizens are blessed. Why? Because his economy is different. And so his citizens relate to him differently. And because of that, a better translation that I want to keep in your mind is not that it's just blessed means happy, but blessed means favored. It means you have, his citizens have his favor. It's because of the way that they relate to him. You see, Jesus' economy blesses the citizens of his kingdom because of who they are, not what they do. Now, this is where the upside down begins because every economy in our world blesses people based upon what they do. Everything. 
You get a paycheck because of what you do. You get a grade in school because of what you do. Everything, in all the economies that are set up in our world, they are merit-based. You're blessed because you do something good. It's something you, you have. None of you have, uh, I don't think, none of you have a job where you are blessed or rewarded or get a paycheck because you have a good attitude. Now, certainly you might get a bonus or something like that, but you, know, you don't just go in your office and go, my job today, be happy. And your supervisor comes in and says, I, I need you to do this. And you say, don't worry. Be happy. There you go. We, don't, we, we aren't blessed because of attitudes that we have. We're blessed because of what we produce, which provides a lot of pressure for us in everyday economies. But what Jesus is doing is saying, you're not blessed because of what you do. You're blessed because of the attitude that you have. That's completely upside down. You see, Jesus' citizens, they then live out these kingdom attitudes, the attitudes that contradict the ways of this world. It's completely different, completely opposite, completely upside down from the way that the world operates. And that's what Jesus is offering. And guess what? That's what's attractive. That's what's attracting people from all over these crowds. Think back at Matthew chapter four, at the end of four, what we just read. Who are the people that are coming to Jesus? They're not the people that have great jobs. They're not the people that are capable. They're not the people that have everything all together. They're people that are paralytics that couldn't work, that were left to beg. He, he is, this kingdom is attractive to those who know they don't have it all together, who know they can't produce, who know that they, they don't have any hope within themselves, and they begin to live differently, and they go to the only one who will give them hope, because this world is falling short. And what he says here is he blesses his citizens because they have these attitudes of, I know I don't have it all together. And so what I want to do is I want to go through these beatitudes quickly. I don't, don't have time to go through these in great detail. We could do, and I will go ahead and tell you, we will do in the future an entire series on the beatitudes. I don't know when, but there's so much meat that we're going to leave on this bone. But I want to give you the skeleton of this so that you understand the upside down nature of what Jesus is offering here in his economy to his citizens of his kingdom. And so let's go through them. Uh, there's a chart on your sermon notes that will be very helpful because none of this is going to come on the screens. So we can go through it line by line and you can see. So the first attitude that he says, blessed are, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now the world, what do they reward? The world rewards self-sufficiency. Shoot, as Texans, we reward self-sufficiency. You know, we Texans secede. You know, we can do it all by ourselves. We don't need anybody. And that's how we are raised as Texans. That's how we're raised as Americans. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. 
You don't need anything, but the world rewards self-sufficiency. Jesus says he blesses those who are poor in spirit, which what that means here is spiritually bankrupt. Not practically, not financially bankrupt. He's not talking about those who are poor, although certainly people that came were poor. But he says those who are poor in spirit, those who know that spiritually they have no merit before a holy God. I, I know, God, that I cannot earn your favor in any way. I cannot be sinless. I am a sinful wretch, Cody McQueen. I've got nothing to bring to the table. And he says that when we come to him poor in spirit, knowing we're spiritually bankrupt, then we are blessed. Then we have his favor, which again makes no sense. We have his favor, and he says our certain blessing is the kingdom of heaven, that we have complete heirship. We inherit every blessing from the kingdom of heaven. And I put certain blessing on here because if you notice these, all of these blessings, none of them are contingent. If you are, then a byproduct is. Very simple, the certain blessing. So that's the first one, poor in spirit. And I think this one certainly uh, is, is stated first uh, because this is the way that you begin a relationship with a holy God. I got nothing to bring to the table. I am spiritually bankrupt. And he goes, that's all I need you to say is to know that it is completely upon his grace and mercy that you have a relationship and can enter into the kingdom of heaven of a holy God. The second one is, is about mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. Now the world rewards those who appear happy. And you say, how do you get there, Cody? Uh, have you heard of this term called influencers? Influencers are always happy, or at least they always, sorry, they always portray themselves as happy. And that's why they are influencers, because they want you to buy the products that these people are handing them or the clothes that they wear or whatever. Why? Because those things make them happy all the time. The world blesses those who always appear happy, but Jesus' citizens, he says, blessed are those who mourn. What? Think what he's saying here, those who are sorrowful over sin, and I don't just think that means their own. I think it means who mourn over the sinful condition, the brokenness that our world is in. When we realize that this world is not the way that God intends it to be, it's not the way that he created it to be. And we all have story after story after story. Pull up the news today and the headline will read something that tells you that this world was not created the way Jesus wanted it. And he says, if that grieves your heart, <laughs> then you're mine. Then you get it. That this is not the way it was supposed to be. Those, for those, the certain blessing is they will be comforted. And I put, they will, I, I'm trying to translate these for you. They will have full fellowship with Christ. Why? Because what is Jesus called? A man of sorrows. <laughs> when he walked this earth, he was sorrowful because of the sinful, broken condition that this world was in. It wasn't right. It's not right now. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And his citizens realize that and it grieves our hearts. And the next one are the meek. Blessed are the meek. See, the world rewards those who are domineering. 
those who are aggressive, those, are, those who are tyrannical, those who are take charge, those who are driven and not just driven, but who drive over others. And he says, but his citizens are meek. They're humble and they're gentle. It doesn't mean that they're, they're wimps or that they're doormats. It's that they have authority, they have power, but they choose to use it in a way to serve, not in a way to domineer or dominate others. And he says their certain blessing is they will inherit the earth. And I think what that means is he will give them authority. And I think that's true from other scriptures that we read, that one day when we, we his citizens, saints, those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, will rule and reign with him on this earth, the new heavens and new earth. Don't know what that means. But it's for his citizens. Next, hunger and thirst for righteousness. The world rewards self-righteousness. The self, I, it's my way. I am right. It's my truth. This is what I believe. The world rewards that. And what he, he says here is, no, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, the righteousness is his standard, and only he is righteous. And so what that means is he blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are those folks that seek to follow his ways. It's not my way, Lord. <laughs> I want to follow your way. I hunger and thirst to, to walk in your ways. That's what I seek after. And he says, those folks will be satisfied. Those will be content. Um, they will have their hunger and their thirst satiated. And men, we know from our living in our world that no hunger or thirst is ever satiated. But he says, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that will be satiated. We will be content following in his ways. The next is merciful. The world rewards those who show no mercy, who take advantage of people and they take advantage of situations. That's what the world rewards. But he says his people, his citizens are merciful. We forgive faults. Knowing the mercy that we receive, we give to others. And the certain blessing is that we'll not only receive mercy, but we find forgiveness. Uh, uh, something that is totally unique to Christianity, forgiveness. No other religion offers forgiveness. True, absolved of all guilt and condemnation. No other religion, only Christianity. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. See, the world rewards those who are externally blameless. What do I mean by that? I mean, just look at our court system. If, if somebody can find a loophole, if somebody can find a way out, they are absolved of guilt. I, I, I'm blameless. The, the, I've, I found a way out, found a way to argue in favor of my own case. That's what the world rewards. But he says, no, no, no. I bless the pure in heart, the, those who are internally cleansed, those who are cleansed by the power of the Holy Spirit, who seek to do the right things the right way, those who are pure in heart. And he says their certain blessing is they will see God. Let, and let me, just, let me just say this, and I think this is important for us to always hold on to. Purity leads to clarity. 
Purity leads to clarity. When we are seeking and, and, and yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit in us, that makes things really clear about what God wants us to do. And if it's not clear, then be still. Don't, don't act. When we take matters into our own hands, that's when we get into trouble and things get more complicated. Next, peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. See, the world rewards peacekeepers. The world rewards those who tolerate, who go along to get along. And he says his citizens are peacemakers, those who offer reconciliation, who bring peace with God and peace with others. And he says their certain blessing is they will be called the children of God and claimed as his own. And I don't think it's any, any mistake that in this order that being a peacemaker, trying to step into people's lives to offer peace with God and peace with others leads to the next one, which is those who are persecuted. That the world rewards the public majority, those who stand with the crowd. And he says, no, my citizens are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, who stand for God. Theirs certainly is the kingdom of heaven. The, the certain blessings end with the kingdom of God. This is what is called in scripture an inclusio, which just means everything in between is included. Fancy way. The kingdom of God is all inclusive. It's paid for in full by Jesus. And all of these things are offered to all of those who have the attitude that we are poor in spirit. <laughs> we are spiritually bankrupt. These are completely upside down things that he blesses and he says you can have the whole kingdom the kingdom is yours enter in as a complete heir everything I have is yours that's what he offers to these people that are coming from all across these regions who are saying we want a new king we want to follow him and so here's what I want to do just give you some very quick applications that set up not only this sermon but future applications for us in the Sermon on the Mount. First is this, embrace the upside down nature of Christ's kingdom. When we talk about the upside down kingdom, there's gonna be two problems. First, you either don't believe it or second, you don't embrace it. First, if you don't believe it, then that means the only thing that you believe is in the kingdom of this world. And let me tell you, my friend, this world is fleeting. This world is temporary, this world is broken. My friend, if you can admit that there are things wrong in this world, then please believe in the king who came to make it right. There's someone who came to turn this world upside down and turn every wrong into a right. To reconcile the world to himself, to redeem the brokenness that we brought and we bring all the time. And for those of you that have believed that we have to embrace this upside down nature of the kingdom. And that's really hard to embrace because oftentimes as Christians, we are what, what I've called hokey pokey Christians. We wanna put our right foot in and when it gets uncomfortable, we wanna take our right foot out. Then Sunday comes again, so we put our right foot in and shake it all about. And if we live like hokey pokey Christians, then at the end of our lives, 
you're gonna feel like you did a silly dance and that's what it's all about. (laughs) It's not a silly dance. This is something real. This is something eternal. And so we're gonna have to embrace this upside down kingdom that Jesus came to offer. So a few more very quick things first. Embrace the emotions that accompany life's shortcomings to accept Christ's blessings. Embrace the emotions that accompany life's shortcomings. Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who, let's just use an example, those who mourn. Guys and gals, it's okay to be sad. To be a Christian does not mean you're Pollyanna happy all the time. It doesn't mean you're devoid of emotion. In fact, the ones that he brings comfort to are those who embrace that sadness and who say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And he goes, that, that's, that's my girl. That's my guy. Come on. You're exactly right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's okay to embrace the emotions that this world has left us wanting because he's the one who's gonna come and fulfill every desire that we ever had and make it right. Second, embrace obedience because God's ways will lead you opposite of the world. This is gonna come later in other sermons, but folks, we cannot expect Christ's blessings if we're gonna do things the the way the world does them. His upside down kingdom offers a different way, a different blessing, a different economy, therefore, when he calls us to obey, it's not going to look like it's popular. It's not going to look like the world. And then finally, embrace the certainty of Christ's future. His future for you so you can rejoice today. His kingdom is coming. And it's something to look forward to. It's something to have hope in. If we don't have anything to look forward to, then we have no hope. But we do have something to look forward to. And that's when this world that is upside down, Jesus comes and turns right side up. God, I thank you that you give us hope, that you give us certainty in the future, that you give us the promises that you will make things right again. And Lord, I pray that you would help me, help us to embrace this upside down kingdom mentality that you have because it's totally different than everything the world screams at us, everything the world tells us, all of our relationships tell us. So Lord God, would you build our community, the Christ Chapel community together, but sink us deep into your word so that we can support one another and encourage one another, that when we live in a way that looks opposite of the world, we know and are certain and sure that we are headed in your direction for the kingdom that is to come. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.